Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. And of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Blades versus Lewis, an exciting heavyweight tilt that's about to go down. But of course, those of you who frequent the show know we will not be talking about that fight or any of the other fights on the main card because this is the Prelim Primer, the podcast that gives you the early portion of the card. Now, for those of you who are wondering, why not give us the whole card or why not even focus on the the fights that we really care about? And the answer is really simple. You, You probably know a lot about Curtis Blades or Derek Lewis or any of the other fighters fighting on the main card. But you probably don't know a lot about these prelims. And there are a lot of prelims on this card. There are nine of them. And we're here to help you in case you're playing daily fantasy sports or you're gambling and you don't know anything about these guys. But before we do, I do have to mention that this episode of the Premium Primer is brought to you by AJ'sMMABetting.com. For gambling breakdowns and analysis that put other guys to shame, visit AJ because he does so much more than just shoot you his picks every week for you to tail. Instead, he gives you an education and insight for you to make informed decisions, grow your bankroll, and have continued success. Why go to an anonymous tipster who's just throwing you blind ideas when you can go to a proven winner who explains exactly how he came to the conclusions he came to? Plus, AJ is giving you all of his analysis now for free. So what is there to lose other than your current bad betting decisions? Follow him now at AJMMABetting on Twitter or at AJMMABetting.com. Now to break down these prelims, I, of course, am joined by a co-host joining me today from MMA Odds Breaker, Adam Martin. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man. Glad to be back. All right. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jared Gordon versus Danny Chavez. So Gordon, 2-1 and one in his last three with only a loss in there to Charles Oliveira, which obviously aged really well. Uh, last time he fought, he picked up a decision win over Chris Fishgold back in July. Chavez, meanwhile, made his UFC debut in August. He picked up a decision win over TJ Brown in that fight. So I got to imagine in this fight that, that Jared Gordon tries to get his wrestling going a little bit. Is that the right call for him against a guy like Danny Chavez? I don't know, because Chavez actually, I think, had four takedowns in his first fight in uh, the UFC against uh, TJ Brown. So I actually, looking at this fight, thought, you know, his grappling might be a little bit underrated. I think most people will probably give Gordon the, the grappling edge here, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than people think. And I think on the feet, you know, it's a huge problem for Gordon. That chin is a massive problem, man. He's been knocked out, I think, three times in the UFC. Chavez, deadly low kicks, good striking fundamentals. I've been, I'm going to watch a little bit more tape on Chavez, but everything I've, I'm seeing in him pointing in his direction, I think he keeps it on the feet, maybe knocks Gordon out possibly too. What are you thinking about it? Yeah, I'm leaning on Chavez too. I actually am shocked that he is not a bigger favorite here. And yeah, actually, yeah. if you look at the odds, he opened as an underdog. So it, it seems like people are on the right track with us here. And, and as those odds sort of inch towards him being a favorite, over him being a favorite, and, and maybe by the time we get to fight we, or fight time, a massive favorite because – you're right. I, I think he stuffed six of TJ Brown's takedowns. He got the ones of his own. His kicks are thunderous. I think this all leads to a, a Danny Chavez knockout. I'm going to say he gets it done uh, after damaging Jared Gordon pretty badly in the first. He gets it done in the second. How about you? I'm thinking of finish too, man, and that sounds pretty good to me. Second round finish sounds uh, sounds right on the money. All right, and that takes us to our second fight, which is Jakar Closa versus Luis Violent Bob Ross Pena. Closa was on a three-fight win streak, but sort of famously got knocked out by Benil Dariush back in March in a fight where he had Dariush hurt. 
Uh, Pena, meanwhile, is 1-2 in his last three. He's taken this fight on short notice. Most recently, he took a guillotine loss to Karma Worthy back in June. So, obviously, like I just mentioned, Pena taking this fight on short notice against, a, you know, kind of a maybe even a step up in competition from Karma Worthy. H how concerned should we be about that he hasn't had a real training camp here for Dracar Closa? Oh, I mean, no doubt about it. And, and he's struggling a little bit. You know, he's kind of been inconsistent in UFT. Pena. And the thing is, I think he's had a problem kind of finding his right weight class a little bit. He's bounced around. He couldn't really make 145. He's back at 155. Like physically, man, he's got some gifts. He's six foot three. He's huge. He's got a long reach. He actually has a five inch reach advantage in this fight. The problem is he doesn't really fight smart and use it smart. But, you know, close to me, he's been a bit overrated a little bit in the UFC. I know his record is good. It's five and two in the UFC. It's solid. But really, his wins are not that great. And he has no finishes in any of his wins either. And he just got stopped in his last fight. As a guy who's a, who's like a talented wrestler, I was surprised seeing, digging in the numbers that he doesn't wrestle more often. He's kind of content to stay in the feet, sprawl and brawl and win these like kind of mediocre decisions. We saw the last fight, he got a little bit more reckless, got KO'd. Pena doesn't present that knockout threat. I, I think Close probably does take this one. I, I'm just not as sold on him as a lot of people are as this like high level fighter uh, even if he wins this fight and proves to six and two he's a guy i'm looking to fade the next time out honestly but he probably should win this fight yeah i kind of agree with you on this too I i'm interested in to see what approach he takes too because like you said i definitely wish he leaned on his wrestling more but i'm not even sure that that's the right path against pena uh because pena does have good submission skills and transitions and scrambles even off of his back he's got good submission skills so I think you, the probably the best game plan for him is to work the clinch, put put Pena up against the cage, win sort of like a gritty decision. But again, you're right that that's not the best looking decision, and and it's certainly not winning in very many points. But I'll take closer here by decision. It sounds like you're you're leaning the same thing. I'm thinking decision. Like if you look at his resume, he hasn't finished anyone in the UFC. I don't know if Pena's going to get stopped here, although he could because his defense is a little questionable at times. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the first round, which is Eddie Wineland versus John Castaneda. Uh, Wineland, 1-3 in his last four. He most recently was knocked out very big by Sean O'Malley back in June. Castaneda took a short-notice decision loss to Nathaniel Wood in his July debut. So he's 0-1, and, and he's actually 1-3 in his last four, despite the fact that he got the call to the UFC. My question to you here is, is based on Eddie Wineland. Are you a little bit worried that maybe he's taken a few too many blows to the head, that he's easier to KO now? And how possibly detrimental is that against a guy like Castaneda who likes to slug? Yeah, I actually really like this fight. I think it's going to be one of the better fights on the prelims. It's going to stay, take place in the feet mostly, I believe. Um, you know, looking at these guys, they both like to stay in trade. Wyland has, you could say what you want about his, his chin. It's obviously questionable at this point. He's 36, right? But he has excellent takedown defense, 86%. And he does have good boxing. We've seen that. Two fights ago, he knocked out Grabori Popov. We saw the boxing there. We've seen it time and time again throughout his career. It wasn't that long ago where he's knocking guys out. But he is on the tail end of his career. He has lost three of four. Not only did he get KO'd by O'Malley in his last fight, he got brutally KO'd. It's one of those fights that could really, I think, end a guy's career. Um, I like Eddie Wyland. Always been one of my favorites, Dan. But at this point in his career, I, he's a fade for sure. That's why you see Sexy Mexi's Castaneda as a small favorite here. Very small favorite. He has some advantage in this fight. He's 27. That's a big advantage. He's nine years younger. A little bit longer reach as well. Um, and, yes, he has lost three of his last four. But if you look a little deeper in those fights, like, the guys he lost to in Kombachi are actually not bad. They're a lot better than I thought because I looked at his record and I'm like, man, this guy, how is he even in the UFC? Then you see the long win streak. He had 11 fights in a row. 
win streak before he lost those fights. So, you know, I actually, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm looking at Castaneda as a potential bet. Um, he's basically a pick and price here. And I, I, I think he's got enough advantages. The only disadvantage I think is the pure KO power, which I think Wineland has. But I think overall, this guy might stay busier in the fight and win a decision, if not finish Wineland. So I, I, I'm not sure how you're thinking, man, but I, I actually like Castaneda quite a bit here. Yeah, I, I like him in this one too, and I, I think I'm going to take him by decision. And, and the thing to me about, you know, you mentioned Eddie Wineland's wrestling defense, I think that definitely comes into play, but I also think Castaneda mixes it up enough so that Wineland is, is thinking about that, and, and it winds up making Wineland a little bit more hesitant, and, and Castaneda is not hesitant in the least. So you're, you're right, I think the volume winds up being the big decider. I'm going to take Castaneda by decision. Is that the way you're going to? Yeah, I'm thinking decision as well. I mean, Wyland, like, he did get KO'd, but generally is, is pretty durable. You just look at like, a fight like Alejandro Perez. To me, that's going to be a very similar fight to this where, we, where he lost a competitive decision. That's absolutely a great parallel to draw. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, let me tell you about my favorite feature of the breakdowns that AJ from AJ's MMA Betting sends you each and every week when he sends out his picks. He not only sends you the picks and the lines, but he lets you know the implied probability of a win, which is really cool to have because it tells you what the odds expect, how many percent of the time one fighter would win and how much percent of the time the other fighter would win. Then he shows you where he would have that fight lined so that not only can you see that definitely his side is the right side to bet, but you can also see the value in those bets, which allow you to make informed decisions on your own. Because let's face it, you have to have faith in the process because gambling isn't all about the big hit that you had from last week. It's about continued success and making smart bets. And that's what you're going to get when you visit AJ from AJ'sMMABetting.com. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Nate Landwehr versus Julian Orosa. Landwehr got beat by Herbert Burns in his debut, but bounced back with a decision win over Darren Elkins. Orosa recently got his third try in the UFC. He was 1-1 one one in the first go-round, 0-3 in the second go-round, but then beat Sean Woodson by Doris Choke back in June as part of his third beginning here. So I, I kind of think that this fight might just devolve into a Rock'em Sock'em robot game, and, and I'm here for it if that's what it becomes. Who would you favor in that type of fight? I I, I I agree completely. I mean, looking at this fight, it's going to take place in the feet almost assuredly, and both guys are very aggressive. I think Landwer, more aggressive, walks forward, has more power, I think, pure power. Um, but Arosa, man, that last fight with Sean Woodson, very impressive comeback, was losing the fight, came back, beat a guy he was like plus 400 against, finished him too. I think overall he is actually probably the more well-rounded fighter. Um, Arosa, more experienced guy too. A lot of fights. Uh, but And he actually has some other advantages, like he's a little bit uh, taller, um, a little bit longer reach. He's 6'1 for a 145er, so he's, he's a big dude. Southpaw as well. A lot of advantages. But he has been finished a lot. His UFC record's not good either. So despite the last win, I'm not sure about this one. Landwehr, excellent defensive wrestling. Against Darren Elkins, who's a solid wrestler, stopped... Uh, 13 takedowns, I believe. So, you know, the guy is very good, man. Um, he, I think, can win this fight. I think there's going to be a finish in this fight as well. The odds on that are even money for a finish. I don't think this fight goes three rounds. So I'm looking at a finish more so because 
I, I think there's definitely a chance Arosa could actually finish Landwehr as well. But I'm going to take Landwehr by KO. But I like that odds, man. I like the even odds on a finish, regardless of the, uh, the fighter who's getting it. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great prop in there. And, and I, too, am going to lean Landwehr by finish. We're going to go four for four and agreeing on these. And I just think when you look at his his resume before he got to the UFC, fighting over an M1 Global and, and all that kind of stuff, he looked really good and had big power punches. I think his wrestling is extremely underrated, not just defensively, but offensively. And, and apart from, you know, like you said, kind of getting caught by, by Julian Arosa, as, you know, Jamal Emers did and Sean Woodson did. Like, I don't see Landwehr losing this unless that happens. So, yeah, I, I think 100% uh, this fight is probably going to be a finish, and, and I like Landwehr. And that brings us to our second fight in this round, which is Shayna Dobson versus Casey O'Neill. Dobson had lost three straight, and she pulled up one of the upsets of 2020 with grounded pounding out Maria Agapova back in August. O'Neill, meanwhile, 5-0, making her debut. She last fought for UAE Warriors back in September. So, obviously, O'Neal being only 5-0, and although she does have kind of an extensive uh, amateur record, what can you tell people who haven't seen her about the newcomer? Yeah, I mean, she only has the five fights, right? But Dobson only has eight. So, you know, the thing that I was looking at first off was the lack of experience, which obviously could be a problem here, as we saw with Agapova. You know, this girl doesn't maybe get a stop, as she could guess. But from what I've seen, seems pretty well-rounded, man. Um, pretty good fighter. Coming off the finish, like you said, in uh, – UAE over there in Abu Dhabi. So, you know, she's only been fighting as a pro for two years, but like you mentioned, going back seven years as an amateur. So she has a lot of experience and I, I, I believe she's ready for the big show, man. You know, I hate betting as Dobson here after that last fight, because not like I wasn't on Agapova by any means. I don't bet on minus a thousand favorites, but a lot of people, do. I don't touch them, man. There's no, that's the perfect example of why there's no, there's really no benefits to throwing that kind of fighter in your parlay because that can happen anytime in MMA. So it's like, yeah, she did win that fight, but, you know, she was getting dominated before Agapova gassed. And before that, got KO'd by Cachoeira, had lost three straight fights. I, I, I respect Dobson. She got the win there. It gained a lot of respect for me and for a lot of other fans, I think. But overall, man, Casey uh, O'Neill looks like a really solid all-around prospect. Um, the girl's been fighting since she was 16, you know. She's ready for this. I think she wins this fight, probably. What are your thoughts? I'm actually going to lean with Dobson on this one. While I do like Casey O'Neill as a prospect, I I think she's just got some room to develop, especially I'm a little bit worried about her hand speed against Dobson's. And and in addition to that, you know, if you look at the people who've had a tough time or or given Dobson a tough time, with the exception of Cachoeira, who, you know, like knocked her out with a pretty clean punch, most of the people who gave her a hard time gave her a hard time with their grappling. You know, I, I think she's probably you know, a little bit of a subpar grappler in the featherweight division right now. And, you know, Agapova was using that to her advantage until she got super tired. So I I think that that's probably the avenue, and I'm not sure Casey O'Neill has that avenue. So I'm just going to side with Dobson here. I'm not super thrilled about the odds or or picking somebody in this fight at all, Um, but I'm going to take Dobson by decision. How do you see O'Neill getting it done? Um, I'm thinking a decision too. I, you know, I gotta watch more tape on her. Honestly, I, I gotta watch more on her. We haven't obviously seen her in the UFC yet, but, um, uh, I was going to say, it's kind of funny that her nickname's King, 
when uh, her name's Casey, right? Like that guy, Kevin Casey. King Casey. King Casey. <laughs> it must, you must, that must be your favorite fighter. It must be, right? So. Gotta be. All right. Well, let's move on to the last fight of this round, which is Iman Zahabi versus Draco Rodriguez. Zahabi, one and two in the UFC. He's lost two in a row, including the last one, which was to Vince Morales all the way back in May of 2018. Uh, Draco Rodriguez is seven and one, making his UFC debut. He last subbed Amanda Martinez back on the Contender Series in September to win himself a contract. Obviously, it has been a very long time since we've seen Ayman Zahabi in there, and there are questions of what version of him is going to show up. But if we sort of assume that we're going to see the same version of him as we did in 2018, how do you think he matches up with Draco Rodriguez? Yeah, I got to be honest, man. I, I really like Draco Rodriguez in this fight. At minus 185, I'm looking at the odds right now. That is a steal, in my opinion. Um, you know, I like Zahabi. Obviously, I respect the guy a lot. Don't get me wrong. Trains with a great camp, TriStar, his brother's his coach. He has obviously more experience in the UFC with the three fights, but he's 33. Rodriguez is only 24. That is a huge difference. It's almost a decade difference. Also, he has really struggled in the UFC as a hobby. Um, the one guy he beat, Reginaldo Vieira, I'm like, I was like scratching my head wondering who that guy was. I couldn't remember who he was. And then I was looking at the other losses, obviously the Ramos fight. We know about that. And then he had the other loss there in his last fight as well um, to Morales. He's just struggled, man. Like he hasn't looked that good. Looking at Rodriguez, dude, I mean, this guy is a super prospect in many ways. Like, to me, he's so underrated. Um, seven and one as a, as a, uh, pro, six wins by stoppage. Before that was 13 as an amateur, 10 wins by stoppage. Been fighting since he was a teenager. Um, his only loss in his career is to Tony Gravely, who's in the UFC in a fifth round fight. He lost that fight in the fifth round. That's it. The guy's an incredible prospect. I, I really like him here. The question is, does he finish the fight or not? I think there's definitely a chance, but you know, I, I don't know if I'll take a prop. I just like him at the, at the money line, man. I really like him in this fight. Well, and I'm going to be the contrarian here because I'm actually still a fan of Ivan Zahabi. I was a huge fan of him when they first signed him. And, and I just kind of still believe that he's sort of got what it takes to give that prospect a like, tough prospect loss. Because the thing about Zahabi is, is he doesn't make a lot of big mistakes. Even if you look at that loss to Hakardo Hamosh, which you know everybody remembers the spinning elbow and everything. He was winning that fight, and largely by backing Ricardo Hamos up and being safe in the way that he picks shots. I think Draco Rodriguez is a little bit of an opportunist, and I've seen him you know, do a really great job of snatching up finishes when they appear. But at the same time, I just see Zahabi, and, and granted, we're, we're talking about if this is the Zahabi of old. The Zahabi is just a guy who doesn't present many of those chances to be finished, and, and he's he's smart in the way that he fights, similar to you know what you would expect from from for Zahabi's little brother. So I'm gonna just take a stab in the dark here. I'm gonna go with Ayman Zahabi by decision, uh, and that's gonna be sort of my up, big upset of the card. And that unfortunately is gonna do it for the end of our second round. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what people are saying about AJ'sMMABetting.com. This comes from George. George says, I've been following AJ for several months, and he is ultra impressive. But honestly, the winning selections and return on investment are not even the main reasons. It's his breakdowns and understandings of matchups that impress me the most because it can be hard to separate out your emotions and your favorite fighters in this crazy fight game. But AJ seems to be able to really objectively break down each fight with pinpoint accuracy and not let emotions get in the way. He comes highly recommended in my book. And that comes from George, who was a subscriber to AJ before he even started giving his picks away for free. So now he's giving them away for free. You got to get on him at AJsMMABetting.com. And 
and we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Sergey Spivak versus Jared Vandera. So Spivak, two and two in the UFC, alternating wins and losses. He last beat Carlos Felipe uh, by majority decision back in July. Vandera, meanwhile, 11 and four, making his UFC debut. He last beat Henry Hunsucker on Contender Series back in November by ground and pound. So the interesting thing about Vandera is he's a big guy but he enjoys the ground game more than anything. He loves the submission game, and he's one of the few heavyweights that's like that. Is that a recipe for disaster, though, against a guy like Spivak? Yeah, this is a weird fight, man. I gotta be honest. I was actually kind of looking at Vandera as a dog at first, because I'll be honest, anytime like, you can get a heavyweight, like a guy who's not a ranked heavyweight, at basically plus two to one odds as a dog, I will take that almost every time. So that was my initial like lean, and then I looked into the fight a little bit more, and you know, Vendera had, he's got more losses than I thought first off. Uh, he has looked better lately. Obviously, that's how he got in the UFC. But even that fight against Harry Hunsucker, man, he made some mistakes in that fight. Really showed a lot of holes in that fight. Spivak showed holes too. Don't get me wrong. Only two and two in the UFC. But a takedown machine. He had six takedowns against Ty Tuvesa. Vendera probably wouldn't mind playing that takedown game with him. So I think the fight actually probably goes to the ground. I think there's going to be some wrestling in this fight. Um you know, most people would probably think this fight ends at a distance. I think there's a chance, but I also think there's a chance that Spivak can just make it kind of like a gritty fight and win an ugly decision, just like he did against Carlos Felipe, quite frankly. You know, one other thing that bothers me about Vandera, you know, he his best wins were in EFC, right? Like, Ruin Potts was his big win, I guess, their former UFC fighter. 3-1 and one in EFC. But he also fought in LFA. He went 0-3 in LFA. That, to me, shows he's not really a UFC caliber fighter. He also has a ton of losses early in his career, man. I know he's improved, obviously. He's got some physical advantages here. Too many holes in this game for me. So my lean right now is Spivak. I'm going to watch more tape on Vendera, though, and see what I can find from him. But right now, it has to be Spivak. Due to UFC experience, just due to being um, just a little bit more, I think, solid and well-rounded. What are your thoughts? I I agree 100% and just about everything you said. And the one thing I'll add to that is... The, the thing I love about Spivak and I think is probably one of his best attributes is his ability to hold somebody against the cage and sort of his craft around that. And that was one of the things that I've noticed is probably the worst about Vandera is just like when he gets put up against the cage or in a bad position, he's not really great at reversing that. And Spivak, for, not for anything, held Marching Tybura there for, for quite a while and, and was winning some of those exchanges. So if he can do that with Tybura, I expect him to do it fairly easily here with, with Vandera and probably just... Like you said, I think win an ugly decision. Uh, and that brings us to our second fight, which is Chaz Skelly versus Jamal Emers. Skelly, uh, just one fight in the last two years, and that was a decision win over Jordan Griffin. Emers, meanwhile, lost to Giga Chikadi in his debut, but bounced back to beat Vince Cachero back in August. So uh, when you see a Skelly fight, you know exactly what he wants, right? He wants to scramble. He wants to grapple. Is Emmers going to be the guy who engages him with that type of fight, or is he just going to sprawl and try to knock Skelly out? That's what I think happens. Because um, if you look at Emmers, 100% takedown defense, which stood out to me right away, never been taken down. Not much of a sample size, to be fair, but I think it was three fights, so it's not like it's just one fight. Skelly, actually, he does have a lot of subs, like you mentioned. Great submission game, but surprisingly, he doesn't really go for takedowns. He just kind of lands on the ground somehow. His fights end up on the ground. I don't know if this one's going to end up on the ground. I mean, Skelly, listen, he's got some advantages. He is a bit of a uh, longer guy, um, but, you know, he's got more UFC experience. But, you know, he's 35 now, hasn't been very active. His striking is very 
I just find like his fundamentals are kind of lacking a little bit in the striking. Um, you know, the guy's got great submissions. We know that tons of experience. I, I respect the guy a lot. Great guy on social media. Awesome dude. Don't like the matchup for him. Uh, I, I like Emerson by probably a decision. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just kind of a nightmare matchup for Skelly being that he's fighting a guy who does a great job of defending takedowns. And, you know, you mentioned that Skelly's long. You're right, Skelly is long, but he's actually two inches shorter in, in terms of reach here because Jamal Emers has incredible reach for that division and he uses it well. So I, I think both because he's got good takedown defense if somebody does get on his legs and he uses his reach well to make sure nobody ever gets close to his legs. Man, I, I think this takes place on the feet. And, and unfortunately, you're right. I, I love Chaz Skelly. I've interviewed him a couple of times. But I still like Jamal Emmers in this fight. Um, and, and I agree. I think this probably goes to decision. And that brings us to our last fight, which is one that just got put together. And that's Rafael Alves versus Pat Sabatini. Alves, 19-9, making his debut. He won on Contender Series over Alejandro Flores back in August by guillotine. Sabatini, meanwhile, also making his debut. This one on short notice. He's 13-3. He won the CFFC title back in December with an armbar over Jesse Stern. So if you look just at Sabatini's record, and, and obviously if you look at film of him as well, it's filled with rear naked choke wins. He loves the grounding pound. How likely is he going to be able to implement that game plan against a guy like Rafael Alves? I don't know. I mean, this is another interesting fight. Like short notice obviously makes it even more interesting, I think. But both guys don't mind going to the ground, right? So who has the advantage on the ground? You, you probably think Sabatini, right? But I don't know. Alves, I think, is going to make it tough. Alves more experience. Uh, he's got a little bit more of a longer win streak. And another guy that he struggled really bad early in his career. If you look at his early resume, it's like it's like filled with losses. Lot, lots of former UFC, uh, future UFC fighters, actually. But he's finally made it here. Um, again, I got to watch more tape on Sabatini. This was a short notice fight filling in for Trezano. So got to see more on him. But right now, my, my, my lean's towards Alves a little bit. Just for the experience, but uh, this fight could go either way, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a close one, and, and I think you're right, too, is is that, like, you said who's got the advantage on the ground. Some people might think Sabatini, but I, I, I don't think you're wrong in thinking that maybe Alves likes the ground, too. And, and if you've noticed some of his fights, including the Contender Series fight, he snatches up that guillotine so fast. So if Sabatini is a guy who likes to take down, he's got to be really careful not to run into that, and... In addition to that, I was really impressed with Alves' kicks, uh, the speed he showed on the feet. He's, he's got a little bit of too much flash there and, and might possibly gas himself out being as strong as he is. But, yeah, I, I like him in, in multiple facets here. And I actually think he gets the finish uh, either if Sabatini leaves his neck out for the submission um, or for the TKO. How do you see Alves getting it done? Um, Man. You know, based on what I've seen both guys, this fight probably ends us on the distance. It's just like... You know, is he going to take 17's back and get him out? I'm not sure. Uh, tough one, tough one to call. I guess I'll, I would take sub, but I got to look into it more, too. All right, and that's going to do for the end of our third round. We gave you guys nine fights, and, and granted, we did go a little bit over the 15 minutes, but we hope you guys learned something and got a little bit of insight onto both picks to play and props to play. Once again, you can follow my co-host at MMA. Adam Martin on Twitter and make sure to check out all of his reading at the various places he writes, including MMA Oddsbreaker. Adam, thanks so much for the time, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man.